Well, it is good to see all of you. If you have your Bibles, would you take your Bibles out uh, today and uh, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Well, before we go, let's, um, would you bow your heads with me and let's just ask for the Lord's blessing upon our time in His Word. Father, we are so thankful for always when we come before Your Word. Lord, for some of us, we may uh, have read this passage over and over and over again, year after year, but would you uh, surprise us and bless us with something new tonight? Lord, we want to glorify you in the way we uh, not just read it, but hear it and act upon it. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was wondering if we could uh, play a game tonight, if, if that's okay, right? If you would indulge me. Does anyone know the song, We Three Kings? We Three Kings, right? Just raise your hand at all of our sites, if you know We Three Kings. Okay, I'm going to test how well you know this song. So I'm going to ask all of you to stand up. Yes, stand up. Let's, uh, not just the people that raise your hands, but everyone let's, at all of our locations, would you just all stand up for a moment? Just indulge me for a second. And for those of you that are a little tired, this will wake you up. Is that okay? This is, this is a good thing. So I'm going to see how well you know this song, We Three Kings. Okay? So um, uh, we're going to sing it line by line. But before we sing each line, if you don't know the line that's about to come, I want you to sit down. Now, this is going to be a, a test of your honesty and integrity, mind you, all right? So I, I'm going to give everyone a pass for the first line because I just gave you the first line. Ready? Here we go. We three kings of Orient are... Stop right there. If you don't know what the second line is, please have a seat. Now, all the young kids are sitting down. I don't understand why they're doing... All right? Here we go. I'm going to check all of you that are standing. Bearing gifts, we traverse afar. Okay. If you don't know the next line, please have a seat. Please. I, I, I thank you for your honesty. I thank you. Right? Field and fountain, moor and mountain. Stop right there. If you don't know the next line, have a seat. If you don't know, thank you for your honesty. Following yonder star. Okay, now the next line all of you should know. If you don't know it, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Ready? Oh, there you go. You should have known that. For those of you that sat down because of that line, I pity you. Okay. If you don't know the next line, I want you to have a seat. All right? If you don't know the ne next line. Okay. Star of wonder, star of night. Okay, the next line. If you don't know the next line, please have a seat at all the locations, okay? Star of royal beauty bright. If you don't know the next line, have a seat. Westward leading, still proceeding. Last line. Now look around. Everybody, these are all the people that know this song. Guide us to thy perfect light. Let's hear for all these people that thank you very much. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that you, all of you know this song. 
You know, I don't need to tell you that this song has probably defined for us, whether right or wrong, the facts of what is behind our passage today. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Wise men from the east traveling nearly what most scholars would believe, about a thousand miles from what used to be the area known as Babylon. And uh, since there were no highways or high-speed transportation in those days, and since they were following a star, traveled only during the evenings, some speculate that it may have taken them anywhere from two to three, maybe even four months to get to their destination. And this journey was not a safe one, mind you. Much of the way would have been unprotected by armed forces who were meant to protect travelers. Thieves and robbers plagued many of the roads and forced merchants and commoners to travel in large groups called caravans for safety. And when we speak about wise men, the scriptures actually call them magi. Men who are most probably astrologers or, or magicians. Both practices that were clearly prohibited by the Old Testament. They were also known for their knack of interpreting dreams for, for the rulers that they worked for. But these were neither commoners nor merchants. They were prominent men of society. One preacher I respect speculated that at a minimum, that they would have brought with them a full military escort along with their servants. The total party could have amounted to more than, get this, 300 people. 300, yeah, some of you say, wow. So we three kings is not really accurate. That would have explained the stir that they caused when they rode into Jerusalem. To have 300 people of obvious importance walk into the city would have caught the imagination of the entire city. And the fact that these magi had no trouble gaining an audience with King Herod gives us a pretty good idea that these men uh, uh, were of prominence and power. So we're looking at more than just three guys out, of, out for a ride on their camels. And there was a large band of men who'd come a great distance over dangerous roads. Just to prepare for their journey would have taken probably months. That's why most scholars believe that these folks didn't arrive until about maybe two years after uh, Christ's birth. Well, there were magi from the east. But here's this question. But who are they really? A few a hundred years before this, there had been Jews who'd been taken captive and forced to live in a land in the east, a place called Babylon, like I said. See, between the years of 605 to 586 B.C., Jer- Jerusalem is destroyed and the people of the southern kingdom of Judah is brought into exile into Babylon. And it, it is only until about 539 B.C. when King Cyrus defeats the Babylonians. And that he, then he allows the exiles to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But during the exile, it is there that we read about the prophet Daniel and his dealings with King Nebuchadnezzar. You know Daniel, the prophet Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel and interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar. And then upon finding favor with the king, Daniel sets into motion perhaps the seeds of a prophecy and promise, teaching those who would listen about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've read that there is a possibility that the Magi may have been the descendants of those Jews in captivity and that they had become students 
of the prophecies of the Old Testament and of the prophet Daniel. Now, if that's true, they would have known the prophecy from Numbers 24, where the prophet Balaam foretold that a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And that's just one of the over 300 prophecies found in the Old Testament. Some of those prophecies came from the Old Testament prophet Daniel. And Daniel would have told them roughly when this king of the Jews would arrive. In Daniel 9, God sets a timetable for the coming of the new king called the Anointed One. In this prophecy, he spoke of 70 sevens, 70 sets of seven years apiece. He says, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this, he writes, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens. And 62 sevens. It's found in Daniel 9, verses 24 and 25. See, when Daniel prophesied that there would be seven sevens and 62 sevens from the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, the new ruler of Israel, God was essentially telling folks, pay attention. The clock starts ticking. And the clock started with the decree issued by King Xerxes to his Jewish servant Ezra, somewhere about 457 B.C. So we may have a glimpse of, into who they are and where they came from. But there's a question that remains. Why? Why bother? Matthew 2, 1 through 2, tells us, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, can you imagine the conversation during those long, arduous months of travel on camelback? I've never ridden on a camel. I don't know what it feels like. I think it may look like this. Right? So, hey guys. What did the prophecy say? The king of the Jews would be born this day. But isn't King Herod, the self-proclaimed king of the Jews, already? Well, I guess. Yeah, I, technically. So, why are we going again? The prophecies. It seems the prophecies are coming true. And the star. I don't know about you, but I'm just really curious if it's true. Yeah, yeah. I always, I always want to know the truth. So what if it is true? What do we do then? I don't know really. And on and on it would have gone. Could it have been a search for truth and knowledge? Was it just morbid curiosity? 
Was it something else that drove those men to sacrifice a better part of a, of a year on the road, away from family and home, to search and find the answer to their question? Here's the thing. I tell you that we are all on a journey to find Jesus in one way or another. Some of us are at the beginning of this journey, exploring Christ. You have lots of questions, lots of doubts. And believe it or not, you even bring some expectations. Some of us have already met Jesus. But believe it or not, we continue on this journey to find Jesus in our everyday lives. See, the truth of the matter is that it's a struggle and tension for most of us to even let Jesus into our daily living, allowing him to make a difference in the things that we say, the attitudes that we hold, or the things that we do, let alone think about him. But I'd like to speak to those of us who are still searching, who are still exploring, The reason or reasons that you may be searching for Jesus can probably be simplified into this one question. Is he for real? Is he for real? I think that's a fair question. Is Jesus for real? Can you tell me that he, uh, you, you tell me all the time that he loves me. You tell me that he died for me. You tell me that I need him in my life, but Is he real? Because right now, especially now, to some of us, he's just a baby in a wooden manger. And the other times of the year, he's a guy who's crucified on a wooden cross. But is he for real? I tell you, I think that may be at the heart of the question that the Magi basically was asking. You see, They were pursuing the answers to the prophecies that were handed down to them. Matthew 2, 6, based on Micah 5, 2 says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They pursued the truth. They wanted to see if the prophecies were true. Maybe that's why some of you are here week after week. But as we see in Matthew, there were two groups of people who knew the prophecies, however, with two different reactions. King Herod, he believed in the truth. He actually feared the truth because he wanted to extinguish its reality. See, if he didn't believe it, He wouldn't have have given it much thought, really. But then there's the Magi. Verse 9, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You know, I have a new appreciation for what is happening Right here. This past year, I uh, taught a class, uh, an Old Testament survey class at the Half Moon Campus. And as I've been studying uh, the Old Testament, there was this one singular redemptive narrative that came out of our study. And there's only one singular narrative in the Old Testament. And I sense that there is much more going on here than what we may think. First, a bit of context. 
These magi were not believers. They hearkened from a Gentile land. Their mission led them to Herod's court first as political ambassadors. And their initial intent, I believe, was to pay homage to the child-born king of the Jews, as was their custom, if in fact the prophecy was to be true, and that the child-born was born into a royal bloodline. But when they saw the child and looked into his eyes, they didn't see what they expected. They didn't see a boy dressed in the finest of linens, living in the finest of palaces, surrounded by a royal guard or servants. Though they pursued the truth, they saw something different entirely when they met Jesus, the boy. My hope is that they saw not only the fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophets, but more so, they saw a promise fulfilled. A promise fulfilled. A promise given to Abraham. Yes, Abraham. He says, don't fear, Abram, for I am your great reward. And later on, as he makes a covenant with Abraham, he says, and your seed will be a blessing to many nations. They realized that God was fulfilling his promises. And in fulfilling his promises, God was ultimately pursuing them. That God was pursuing humanity. After 400 years of silence, God broke through the silence and said, I am still pursuing you. See, when the tribes of Israel were divided into two kingdoms after Solomon's rule, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom both found themselves under God's judgment for their sinful and disobedient ways. But it was the southern kingdom the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, who retained the bloodline from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. King David, that, and King David, that ultimately fulfills God's promise of an eternal king and savior in Christ Jesus. It is the Abrahamic covenant that is at the heart of the Davidic covenant that leads to Jesus, who then makes the new covenant with us. It is all about the divine presence of God. It is the divine presence of God that is promised on the outset that he would never leave us nor forsake us. It is the divine presence of God that ultimately saves us in Christ Jesus because he is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things was made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So as they peered into the eyes of a little boy, they saw more than mere truth. They saw the embodiment of a promise fulfilled. God never stopped pursuing 
humanity. He meant what he said. See, the message of a wooden manger can be viewed also in this way. God pursuing us. Emmanuel, God with us. And there will come a day, 30 years later, that the message of a wooden cross can be viewed in this way. God is now beckoning us to pursue him. Because now we can. Because our sins have been washed away by the blood of his son, Jesus. Matthew continues in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You know, I heard a funny story the other day. One comedian observed, if it had been wise women instead of wise men, what would have been different? First of all, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, and made a casserole. And wise women would have brought practical gifts, gifts from babies are us, including diapers, wipes, bibs, and formula. You know, many scholars comment that the first people who worship Jesus are not Jews at all. But they're people from other lands, which harkens back to God's word to Abraham that his seed will be a blessing to many nations. Can you imagine on the way home for these magi? Wow. What now? I don't know. Everything has to change, doesn't it? Maybe. And I tell you this. I believe it's for this reason and this reason alone that many of us will struggle finding Jesus. It's the fear that everything will have to change. It's the fear of losing what you know. It's the fear of losing what we've built up for ourselves. But Paul tells us that Jesus left the comfort of heaven and came to die on a cross for you and for me. He left everything he knew. Because that's how much God loves you and me. And that's how much he is committed to pursuing you and me. I call this a wow moment. Wouldn't you? I mean, come on. These guys come after a journey that they've prepared for over the last four to six months, and then something amazing happens. All the expectations that they brought, all the knowledge, all the preconceived notions, and then seeing Jesus changes everything. The paradigm shifts. God pursues me. Here's the thing. The truth of the matter is that we all come to Jesus 
expecting something. Our reason to follow, our reason for faith comes with stipulations. I will pursue you, God, if you don't make me give up my lifestyle. I will follow you, Jesus, if I get to choose what's wrong and what's right. God, if you're a Democrat, I'll follow you. If not, deal's off. Jesus, if you can forgive me of this one thing, then I will accept you into my life. You know what? I'll tell you that's okay. As a pastor, I I say all the time, come as you are. It doesn't matter how you dress, what you believe, what you've done or not done. Come as you are. But sooner or later, don't stay as you are. Because Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. The thing is this, and listen carefully. The greatest gift of God is that he's given himself to us. The greatest gift of God is God's divine presence. God's divine presence. For those of us uh, who may have witnessed Jesus be crucified on a cross, not any of us, but they thought, what now? They met in the upper room. They said, what now? He's gone. And then Jesus appears. No, I'm not gone. I'm here with you. Then a few days later, Jesus, now nah, I have to leave now. Uh, Jesus, now you're going? No, no, no. I'm leaving someone here for you and with you. Because God's divine presence will no longer leave. The greatest gift of Christmas is God's divine presence presence no matter your expectations of him he remains the same loving compassionate and slow to anger he is the one who can save you the important thing is that you come know that god is still pursuing you the question is sooner or later will you pursue him back End with this. Count Zinzendorf, the founder of the Moravians, was converted in an art gallery in Dusseldorf while contemplating a painting of Christ on the cross, which had the inscription, I did this for thee. What hast thou done for me? This picture had been painted by an artist 300 years before. This artist, when he had finished his first sketch of the face of the Redeemer, this artist called in his landlady's little daughter and asked her who she thought it was. The girl looked at it and said, it's a good man. The painter knew that he had failed. He destroyed the first sketch and after praying for greater skill, finished the second. Again, he called the little girl in and asked her to tell him whom she thought the face represented. This time the girl said that she thought it looked like a great sufferer. Again, the painter knew that he had failed, and again he destroyed the sketch he had made. After meditation and prayer, he made a third sketch. When it was finished, he called the girl in a third time and asked her who it was. 
Looking at the portrait, the girl exclaimed, It is the Lord! That alone makes the coming of Christ meaningful to the world. Not that a good man came. Not that a wise teacher came. Not that a great sufferer came. But that God came. Emmanuel. Say it with me. God with us. He's waiting for you to come. He's pursuing you this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, as we celebrate this season, in the, in the midst of all the noise, in the midst of all the wrapping paper and the gifts, in the midst of giving and receiving, God, I pray that all of us would just take a moment. As we say every year, that we take a moment to ponder the greatest gift of all. Your divine presence in Christ Jesus. Lord, your presence changes everything. Your promise fulfilled changes everything. Change us, we pray. For those that are seeking and on this journey, Lord, help us to deal with our fears and our pride. May we come and embrace the baby Jesus. And as we look into his eyes, may we understand the immensity of what is happening. And as you beckon us to pursue you back, to have this relationship through your son Jesus, may we have the the boldness and the strength to respond. May we bring the greatest gift back to you with our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.